Sean Guyton. I'm the lead pastor at Trailside Church. Thanks for stopping by. I hope that by the end of this message, you feel encouraged, that you feel closer to Christ than you ever did before, and that through its message, you will want to be more like Jesus every single day. Enjoy the message, and thanks for stopping by. hurricanes in that time. To come, I fear that the whole country will reap the whirlwind. FBI Director Christopher Wray said his agents are investigating about a thousand homegrown terror threats. twice so it's a fun little throwback to earlier in the year here was I said my name is Sean I want to pray real fast as we get started and dive into uh, Jonah 4. Father thank you for this morning thank you for being here pray that you would speak through your word today that it wouldn't be words that we put in but it would be what we are able to gather out. Teach us to have hearts uh, that reflect you uh, in the, the place that you placed us here um, that we would learn uh, from the story of Jonah what it means to love you and love people. We love you. Thank you. Uh, speak to us in your name. We pray and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So I have a question for you this morning. We're going to start and kind of lay everything out with today. What is the true heart of God? What is the true heart of God? What, what does it actually look like for the call of a believer to match the heart of a believer? Um, in, in Matthew 28, something we love in Christian culture to quote, a, a famous ending of the gospel. Says, As you go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we love to say that verse, right? You guys, most of you have heard it if you've been in church. We love to say that verse because what it does is it makes us feel like we have purpose. It makes us feel like, hey, like we're, we're doing something, we're going after it, but... What we're seeing here in the world and what we're seeing in Jonah and what we're seeing in the news every day is that maybe the problem is that the heart of the believer isn't matching the call that God has placed on them. And, and I think there's something to that. I think, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of times you'll see people who say, I'm loving. I'm, I'm a loving believer, which is why I'm going to stand here on the corner and scream at you. So my son, who is uh, a walking sermon illustration, came up to me yesterday, two days ago. And I was writing through, praying through, you know, kind of walking through this again and getting ready for this Sunday. And he did something wrong, right? Which I know, shocker. Okay? Are we alive this morning? I feel like everyone's very scared all of a sudden. Like, man, pastor's on my heart immediately. Let's breathe. He came up to me, and he was, he was ups, like visibly upset. And I thought, okay, well, maybe he's being dramatic, maybe not. And he walked up, and he said, I feel like you hate me. Whoa, where'd that come from? I said, buddy, what's, what does that mean? 
He goes, well, you um, sounded very mean to me. And I was like, well, my heart's broken, thanks. <laughs> this is a repentance moment here for you guys, no. Um, and I said, well, wh why do you feel that way? He said, well, I was being bad and, and you were angry when you told me, and so I, I, I feel like you don't like me anymore. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna stop. Here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna stop praying and asking God to show me like good like pictures and illustrations of what it is I'm trying to get across the next Sunday because these things keep happening when your son walks up and just breaks your heart in front of you. And I thought, man, this is this is exactly what it must look like. Exactly what it must feel like when people who follow Jesus or are supposed to be following Jesus follow that thought through, not with not with love, but with seemingly anger and resentment and bitterness. And coldness of heart. And I thought, and not that I was like, you know, I didn't pull my kid up and like put him against the wall and scream at him, tell him not to eat ice cream right then. It's not what happened. But, but even in the moment where I thought I was doing the right thing and loving my son, what I realized was something in the way that it was delivered and shown wasn't actually loving. And I thought, man, if that's not Christianity today. Because our churches aren't filling up with people. And here's the thing. If you go back and look at, so there's a study group called Barna. Barna study. What they do is they, they do Christian studies and they do phones and they do straw polls and all this kind of stuff. And they come out and they give the information every few years. And a new one just released. And what they found is crazy. It's not just that churches are not filling up. Because it's, it's not that people aren't religious. It's not that people aren't actually believing in God. Like the, the thought of um, a, a savior of the world who created all things, controls all things, and is who he says he is, is not a failing thought. Like people are becoming less religious. People are becoming sick of the church. Does that, does that kind of shake anybody a little bit? Because everything we've heard is that, oh, well, church is dying. You know, it's not going to be a thing soon. No, the, the problem isn't that people don't believe in God. The problem is that people don't believe that God actually works through the body of the church that he's called to serve his purpose. And that was startling to me. Because I think it's easy to sit back and go, oh, you know, people are becoming less religious. Oh, you know, people are forgetting things. They're not. No, that's not it. What's happening is that people don't actually believe that the body of Christ in the church is worthwhile. Oh, that's heavy. That was, that was genuinely hard for me to stomach. And not just because I'm a pastor of a church plant trying to grow in the death of the church. No, because people genuinely are beginning to believe that the church isn't accomplishing its mission. And that is scary. It's not that people don't believe, it's that people don't believe in the church. It's insane to me. And so I started thinking about that. I said, why, why is this an issue? Like, why is that a problem in the greater, I mean, really, it, it was in America, North America, so America and Canada. Like, why is that an issue in our context? Like, why is that a problem here? And what I really feel like what's coming along the lines is that Maybe it's not as easy for us to love people as we thought. Like maybe, maybe the church isn't doing a great job because we are so obsessed with pure doctrine that we're not satisfied when obvious repentance happens unless it also happens with pure doctrine. Does that make sense? You all follow me on that? 
Like, like we, are, we are putting spiritual circumstance and applying that to this unconditional love we find in the gospel. And so we're telling people, like, yes, come to Jesus, come to church, but fix these things first. Like, hey, now that you want to follow Jesus, here's a list. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so what we're doing is we're bringing people in and then we're like slowly building walls to keep people then out. To slowly disqualify themselves from the church. And then when we do that enough, culture builds to a point where they think that's all church is. That qualifies all places. That they build walls up to keep people out. To keep the perfect in. And, and that... That is the problem that we find today. It's not that people don't trust God or don't believe God. It's that we've told people that God isn't a relevant thing to them unless they're in this cultural club that they will never be good enough for. And I, I think the problem and what we're going to find here in Jonah 4 as we uh, get ready to almost finish this book is that there's so many times that we, not you, not me, but we as a church, are so concerned that everything is figured out exactly theologically right right away that we're more considerate of that than we are bringing people into relationship with God in the first place. We've lost the mission for the sake of A, B, C, and D. It doesn't matter anymore what people get to as long as they get unless they get to it the way we say they should. And, and it's removed the mission out of the church. Here's what I'm saying. Who is really nervous about inviting someone to a birthday party? Anybody? Like just somebody you know, like, hey, yeah, you can come hang out. One person, all right? That's because Nick scared everyone will kill him. No, I'm just kidding. No. Who's, who's nervous about getting an invite to go to a party and hang out? Have some food? Enjoy some music? Right, still Nick. Yeah. But who's nervous about inviting someone they just met to church? Anybody? Yeah, I, I mean... Listen, if y'all think just because I'm a pastor like that, I don't get nervous and my armpits get sweaty and a little anxious when I know I'm going to invite someone to church. Also, that happens when I'm like sitting down and just enjoying a meal, but um, <laughs> no, because there's a lot of weight there, right? Like there's a lot that's, I mean, you're offering someone a chance to come into something that's important and valuable that they probably already have some thoughts about. And that's a scary thing. Because what we're inviting them to is an opportunity to remove every wall they've built up. And when people have walls built up, it's a lot harder for them to get over them. And so you're asking someone to take a huge step. It's not like just coming out and hanging out at a party. Because we've already built up the idea of what church is in America, and it scares people. Because we've done that. We've built walls and said that you have to have all of these things figured out until you can step into the church. It's interesting. I want to... He didn't know I was going to do this, but I'm going to um, throw a little floater out there. If uh, you guys have met Todd Carpenter, one of our elders, he uh, has a blog, and he just did this thing about the toxic church and what makes a toxic church. And I want to encourage you to go look at that. He's in the back on the way out. You can ask him how to find it. Um, it'll be in our newsletter this week as well, so you just found that out. But he, he did this incredible blog series about all these things people find in church. And you know what I did? I, I didn't read that and go, like, wow, you're way off base. I read that, and everything he said about everything that churches do wrong, I could name like six churches I've been a part of and see it happen. 
Well, yes, that is a pervasive issue. Absolutely. Because the culture that we've built keeps people out instead of lets people in. Because we have conditions on the gospel. In fact, there's some theological circles of people who say they are about people and about the call of God in Matthew 28 to make disciples, and they say, but, but you're not really a Christian unless you follow all the rules. If you don't demonstrate a redeemed heart immediately, then you're probably not really saved. Or like, oh, well, if you don't come in and you don't have magical spiritual gifts and you're not loving to everybody right away, then you're probably not really a Christian. We say, you're not truly saved if you walk in and meet Jesus and you still struggle with the thing that you've been struggling with. We disqualify people. We expect perfection. And it pulls people out of church and it eliminates the purpose and calling of what we've done. And so... We have a problem inviting people and we get scared of bringing people into church because we know they might already think that they're not perfect enough to be there. And that is such a problem because what we've done and what we're going to see Jonah does here is that he actually removes the opportunity for grace to exist first. And he thinks that his level of forgiveness and our level of forgiveness stops the moment Jesus is here. And, and that's a problem in church today. It's a problem of what we experience, and you've probably experienced it. That the heart of a Christian who believes that their duty, their call, is to direct people toward a relationship with a God who left an empty tomb condemns the ground that they have to walk to get there. And we wonder why the church isn't accomplishing its mission today. Because as people approach the empty grave, we give them rules on how every step should follow instead of encouraging them as they approach. And that's where we find Jonah. To give you a quick recap, Jonah has been called by God to go to Nineveh. He runs the other way, sells everything, sacrifices to run, it's swallowed by the into the belly of a big fish, right? Or a whale if you went to Sunday school growing up. And then if you corrected that later, it's a big fish. Gets vomited, thrown up on the beach, goes to Nineveh, and actually tells them, and Nineveh does what? They repent. The king, the, the head, uh, the, the head uh, political guy goes on the ground, covers himself in sackcloth and ash, humbles himself, and then God does something that God does, which is he relents. He forgives. And this is where we find uh, Jonah, starting in chapter 4. And I gave you a little preview, like I said I would last week if you were here. Okay? But if you weren't, congratulations. I'm not going to leave you out hanging. So let's read Jonah 4. And we're just going to get four verses today, because otherwise we'll be here until 3 o'clock. So there we go. Some people are with us. All right. Waking up. What a day. Jonah 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, 
Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And so Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he would see what will become of the city. Man, the heart of a believer, right? The heart of a true follower of God, a prophet, giving the word of the Lord out. And he says, God, I'm mad at you because you relented, and now I look stupid. So I'm going to go sit outside the city and watch you hopefully destroy it. That fits with the mission of the church, right? That's what we're called to. Yeah. So let's all go down Main Street today. Right? Give a word. Tell people about their incoming destruction and just sit by and watch absolute hellfire rain down and destroy the city. Woo! There you go. Yeah. So Jonah starts off this conversation with God and he says, he's mad, he's greatly displeased and became angry. Here's what actually happens in that moment, okay? This is the crazy part of this. If you go back and look at the, the Hebrew of this moment, this is what it actually transliterates to. But it was evil to Jonah who shone with great evil. That's why we have translations, okay? That's the point. Otherwise, you'd read that and go, okay, thanks, Hebrew. That makes no sense. Here's what it says. Jonah saw God's redemption and relenting nature of his judgment as evil. And that he shown that displeasure back to God with through evil. And here's the interesting thing about even that. That when it says Jonah shown that back to God through evil, that's the same word that the author uses to describe Nineveh in the first chapter. Heyo. So here's literally what happens. God relents because the people listen and repent, and Jonah gets mad, and Jonah now is characterized with the very thing that he hated the most, that he never wanted to come to and talk about anyways, the evil of the Ninevites. And God now has characterized Jonah in the same way. Because of Jonah's heart toward the people he was called to serve. Now remember, Jonah was not a missionary, he was a prophet. He was called to give a message to the people. He didn't go there to live with the people, to train them up. He was just to go in the city, preach, and leave. And Jonah is so enthralled with his displeasure toward the people that it now turns into evil toward God. Can you imagine seeing someone you know and hating them so much that the thought of them meeting Jesus seems evil to you? I don't know that I can. And listen, there's some people that, like, I need to repent, okay? Like, I, I'm with you, all right? I don't like to make fun of it, but Black Friday is this Friday, and Woodruff Road is still not totally fixed. All right, so gear up. We're going to have a lot of opportunity for holiness in the next couple weeks. But no, it, this is what it, it says, that Jonah, what he did, his attitude was so bad that he was now categorized with the very people that God called a prophet to go call out into repentance. That's where Jonah is because of his heart. 
Literally, Jonah is dealing with God and evil because God is God. Because God is forgiving. And what does he say in verse 2? He says, I knew. I knew that you are a gracious God. That you are merciful. That you're slow to anger. That you're abounding in love and relenting from disaster. Church, if we hear this about God in our own lives, we celebrate. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. That's why we serve. That's why we give. Because those statements are really good news for us. And Jonah says, I'm mad and I think you're doing evil because this is who you are. And it's not because Jonah doesn't care for people. It's because Jonah has decided who is worthy of God's redemption and who is not. But God then shows Jonah the same grace that he shows Nineveh. Because God is exactly who he says he is. He is exactly slow to anger. He is exactly merciful. He is exactly love. Now remember, just two chapters ago, Jonah's in the belly of a fish, repenting and asking God for forgiveness from his own evil. Saying that he messed up, and God in his love delivers him. Now granted, I, I don't want to get delivered by being vomited on a beach by a fish. Maybe you do. Maybe that's your thing. I don't even like going in lakes when I can't see beneath me, because it freaks me out. And I have gotten scared by probably mud and sticks in the bottom of a lake before, to be honest with you, okay? It's just true. So I'm going to do whatever I can to not have to go through the proverbial belly of the fish vomit. I mean, that's not a thing I would enjoy. But that is a moment where God shows Jonah great love for his contrition. But here we are. Jonah, now in full mercy... Or understanding God's view of full mercy to Nineveh decides to deal in evil with their repentance. And how that happens is that the lack of that grace that Jonah receives also comes a lack of remembering how God has forgiven him. Does that sound familiar? Anybody seen that in culture today? Maybe once or twice? Maybe three or four times or a thousand, maybe. But that, that's a common theme in, in the church today. It's a common theme. You don't believe me? I want you to go on Facebook. I don't really. Go on Facebook if you feel like you want to be vomited out of the belly. And then just, just put in the status and say, like, God, like, loving Jesus doesn't mean you're a Republican. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just want, as a tool of wondering... And then take next week and say the opposite and see what happens. You want to lose all of your friends on Facebook? That's the best way. Right? Just deciding who God is and what following God means. Because there's no opportunity for grace. Because what happens in Christendom is that we now are in the club, so we've decided who can and can't be in the club and what qualifies them, and that brings us a sense of pride because we've forgotten exactly what God did for us. And when we're prideful and it's about us, we can point fingers and say it's not them. It's pride. It's an elevation of self-worth. Self-worth, excuse me. That puts us above our fellow creation. 
And guys, we're really good at being in that club. We're really good at being comfortable. I think I said this last week, or it might have just been conversation, but if you haven't watched Seinfeld, go watch Seinfeld. There's an episode where Elaine, one of the main characters, I know I'm dating myself, okay, but it's funny, it's better than friends, fight me. <laughs> yeah. Elaine is dating this guy, and she borrows his car and turns it on to Christian radio, and she's like, what? Why are you listening to Christian radio? He goes, well, I'm Christian. And if you've seen Emperor's New Groove, it's the, the voice for Kronk, so it's a little messy. He goes, well, I'm a Christian. And she goes, well, does that mean you think I'm going to hell? He goes, well, yeah. <laughs> She goes, doesn't that bother you? He goes, why? I'm not going to go to hell. <laughs> 20 years later, that's the heart of the church. I don't mean to be that forward, but listen, if that wasn't the heart of the church, seats would be filling everywhere. Because we would do everything we could to keep people out of it. But, church, we become comfortable. We become comfortable. And, and when we're comfortable, that leads to a lack of commitment because we're already in. Does it really matter? It leads to a lack of mission because we've already accomplished what we need to for us. It leads to a lack of purpose because once it's been fulfilled as much as we're okay, it doesn't matter as much anymore. And that leads to pride, and that leads to busyness, and that leads to the core of our comfort becoming a lack of urgency for caring about the sufficiency of grace for other people. Because, huh, you're not the one going to hell, or you're not the one going to heaven either. And so we see statements like that, and we laugh, but the truth is, that's the heart of the church right now, and that's why people still love God, but don't love the church. Because we become comfortable. So moving forward, that, that anger that Jonah shows in verse 1 and 2 when he says, I knew who you are and you relented. You cared for them. Here's the actual heart of that statement. Because people ask, well, why, why should Jonah be angry? Right? Because two things happen. Not only does he know God is exactly who he says he is, and that God is going to forgive them because God is God, but he also takes the self-moment and goes, well, that makes me look like I'm not legit. Because Jonah would have known that in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 22, there's a statement that says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that thing does not come about or has not, not come true, then that thing is what the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has been presumptuous, and you should not be afraid of him. So Jonah's heart in this moment isn't for the people that God relents his judgment on. It's that he's worried you guys with me right now? He's worried that they might not think he's a really good prophet. Mm. Hey, I'm sorry it's so real today, but that's where we're at. This is the same reason that we're scared to dive into community and go into small groups and dive into relationship. This is the same reason we have so many relationships that are so surface level, because we're so scared of offending somebody or hurting someone's feelings, because we're scared that if we're vulnerable with people, they might not think that we are as good as we think we are. Oof. Now they might find out we're not as legit. 
that maybe I'm not as good of a Christian as I want to be. Instead of finding commonality in that, we find judgment in that, which is what Jonah did. Again, Jonah's heart isn't for the people. Jonah's heart is for himself, and he's continuously demonstrating that in his anger and his frustration with God. That's why God calls it evil. Because it's about him. He could be thinking that he went through all this. He didn't have to go through the belly of the fish. If God was going to bring him in and just show that he wasn't really a prophet, he should just let him go to Tarshish. Should have never given him a call. But the purpose of Jonah's call wasn't for Jonah's good. It was for the rescue of the town, the city of Nineveh. And we miss that. And that's because, guys, we're really comfortable. The church is comfortable. Because as long as the budget is met, and there are people in the seats, we don't have to worry about the true cost of knowing and loving Jesus and bringing people to him. Maybe that's why church plants aren't that comfortable. Maybe that's why we need church plants to come in because our budget is not met. Our seats are not full. We still have mission and purpose and vision because we can't be comfortable. And we see here in Jonah's heart is that when we get to that point where we are comfortable, it can be about us and not about the mission and purpose that we've been given, everything dies. And that is why you see so many churches closing their doors today. That's why you see 250 pastors quitting every month. That's why you see tens of thousands of churches closing every year. Because at some point, that comfort runs out. At some point, we can't take those things for granted anymore. And so what Jonah's heart displays is that very thing. That being in the club isn't enough. That entitlement leads to death. Because what Jonah had done is Jonah had predetermined the heart, the outcome of Nineveh. He had decided what they already were going to do. When you read this, it's hard for me not to hear this and think, well, Jonah probably was like, all right, I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to tell these super evil people, hey, repent. And then in a few days, I'm going to go outside the city, watch them not repent, and God's going to blow up a fire. And I'm going to be like, ha, ha, told y'all. Right? Get it. Y'all should have listened to Jonah. Here's from God. Man. Y'all, this is just like... All of us who are ready for Jesus to come back, which I'm ready for Jesus to come back and redeem this world, please God. But we're ready for it, and we're not worried about everybody else out there. Because we're in the club, because if Jesus comes back right now, we're good. Right? When my brother, older brother Chris, became a Christian, I was like, all right, I'm set. Like, God will be merciful on my children, right? They've heard the gospel, and their little hearts are probably okay. My brothers, my parents, they're all saved. Like, Jesus comes back now, lightning comes, we go, I'm in. I'm going to hang out with my whole family. It's going to be awesome. Because our purpose has been what we say it's going to be. And when we put our parameters on the gospel and the purpose of the gospel and where it stops and forget about everybody else, then it becomes very comfortable. And that's what happens with Jonah. See, Jonah did exactly what God asked a symmetric time. But his true heart was displayed when God offers that forgiveness 
and Jonah decides that they weren't worth forgiving. That they weren't worth caring for. That they weren't worth sacrificing for. That they weren't worth the sweaty armpits and the nervousness of bringing people in. And Jonah had so fixated himself on his own desire that he misses that, in fact, his prophecy worked. His call worked. Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh to tell them to repent, and they did. And he's still mad. Not that God didn't work, but that God didn't work in the way he thought he should. Do you notice the difference there, the shift there? Like, guys, they repented. So much so that God didn't strike them down. Are y'all with me on this? Are, are we awake, breathing? That's a big deal. See, Jonah didn't fail. Jonah failed now. He didn't fail earlier. His call and his purpose was exactly as God maintained and desired it would be. He failed when his heart was not about the people, but was about the destruction that he wanted God to bring down to the city of Nineveh. Because that's what pride does. That's what comfort does. And that's what happens when we put our context and our desires and say, this is what Jesus says, instead of letting people walk to the empty tomb and not instruct them step on step, but just to encourage them as they go. Because we can't put parameters on that church. That's not what you're called to. You're called to love Jesus and to love people. And as you go, make disciples. And not be the ones who are critical as people are walking toward the empty tomb be encouraging and to walk with them and to care for them, to love their hearts and to be unsettled that people are at home wasting their lives searching for hope but are scared to walk into the church doors because they see those as doors of condemnation and fear but God does not weave in and out of his ability to sovereignly reign over the universe he is not in and out of his efficacy, of his purpose, and his will. He will accomplish his will. He does not fail. He is, as Jonah says. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is relenting from disaster. He is those things, and he will not fail in those things. But he does not. God does not base his wrath and his love and his anger and his judgment on the feelings of those he has already called. We are not the moral morality police. We are the broken. We are the hurting. We are the evil. We are the, the hurt ones who are walking with the world to get them into the place where they would approach the empty tomb fall on their knees. We are not to be comfortable. Because God bases those characteristics about him on his call for his glory and his purpose. And in those things, there is no place for us to be comfortable or prideful. Because when we do that, when we would rather people know how wrong they are and how right we are and how they're living in sin and we're following Jesus. And there's no place for that in this world. When, when it's about how good we are 
and how bad they are, whoever they is, that we, we don't offer them the space to consider the depth of their own sin because we're just shouting it at them. They already know. And it's hard to consider and to think when people are attacking and throwing rocks at you the whole time. But guys, we're real good at throwing rocks. Real good at it. The church has become, I would say, better at throwing rocks than they are about loving people. Sure, we can gather together and raise money and send Operation Christmas Child boxes out. We can do great things. But if our desire for people stops at Operation Christmas Child boxes, then we're missing, missing the gospel. We're missing the point. You see, Jonah misses that, as the heart of the believer often does as well. Because God's qualification for the redemption of a sinner is not the same as the qualification that we hang on the necks of the unredeemed. And so it's easy for us to sit on the street and watch people go by and judge them and think that they are missing the boat and that they are sinful instead of going to them and going, my call, my purpose is to bring that person to a place where they can approach the empty grave. And that, that attitude, that heart, makes even the idea of a loving God fall through the fingertips of those seeking hope. Like it was wet sand. Well, they can almost see the capability, they can almost see the form, but it's ruined by the current state of how they've received it. And that comes when believers don't have the proper heart for the people, and that's what happens with Jonah. Jonah, although frustrated, he remains honest, and in that frustration, he says, God, you are exactly who you say you are. <clears throat> and it reminds me of Matthew 20, when Jesus is telling a parable about workers in the vineyard, and he says, oh, uh, a guy who owns a vineyard goes, and he got people at 6 a.m., at 9 a.m., at 12 noon, and 3 p.m., and they worked until 6 a.m., and he paid them all the same, and the ones who were there all day got really mad and said, hey, we worked all day, and you gave those guys the same as you gave us. And this is how he ends the parable. He says, do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my generosity? And that's exactly what Jonah does. He allows the past happenings of Nineveh and the future fear that he might be on the same level as those evil Ninevites dictate how he feels about the mission and purpose of God. I was incredibly grieved, incredibly grieved. Um, and this isn't like a moral, like pastoral standing. I think this is just the heart of a human. Um, I was talking to a, a friend, I guess a friend of a friend. Um, we were at a hangout, like birthday kind of party. And, uh, you know, like as, I, as I've said before, people run away from you when you say, oh, I'm a pastor. Like, cool, great, I'm going to go that way so you can't judge me. We, we haven't gotten to that point yet. <laughs> And they were talking about this relationship they had, and I guess like there was a bad breakup or something. And the person, the girl that I knew, looked at her friend and was like, man, that's, that's bad. I'm so sorry you dealt with that. And the statement that fell out of this girl's mouth next blew my mind. And she goes, I hope he rots in hell. I was like, let me find a wall to lean up against. 
And so listen, I know that's a euphemism, like I know you're saying that because you're angry, but what do you actually believe about that statement? And the girl who knew I was a pastor, you could see her eyes kind of got, she was like, oh crap, it's about to go down. You know? Right? And she goes, he hurt me so bad that I hold nothing but pain for him. And I was like, forever? Like eternally? Like, is that something that is worth someone? Like, really? Do you get it? She's like, yeah. Very so nonchalant. Like, mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, if you've been around me long enough, you know this. I, I say some stuff I probably shouldn't sometimes. Right? Like, I've, things come out of me where even my wife would be like, hey, Sean, that was a bad idea. Um, and something like that came out of me. And I looked at <laughs> I looked at her and I said, I, if you understood hell, I don't think you'd actually say that. I think you'd be begging for his forgiveness. That was like, I, some of the girls like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> but I meant, if we understood the depth of what that really looked like and meant, we would never wish something so trivial would cast somebody into it eternally. The statement of I hope they rot in hell is a perfect picture of man's evil core of the depravity of a person. Because God is merciful. Because God is loving. Because God is slow to anger. Because God is abounding in steadfast love. Because God is relenting from disaster. And so church, what would it mean for us what would it mean for us to take God exactly at his word? What would it mean for us to know that God is exactly who scripture says he is? What would it mean for us to get back on the purpose and mission? To not qualify people for the gospel, but to desire them to approach the throne. How would that shift our mentality? How would that shift the way we speak, the things we say, the way we view people? What if, okay, here's a, here's a thought. <clears throat> what if we decided holiness was actually a process that we were okay with? What if we decided people could walk in our church and that we didn't have to qualify them on how they looked, acted, what they did on Friday and Saturday? What if we let people come and not have it figured out. Even more so, what if you allowed you to do that? What if you didn't walk into a church building praying God would strike you down because you sinned? Or because you know you, right? And you know what's in here. And you know what's in here. What if we didn't hold those barriers against people and against ourselves? What if we decided holiness, holiness is an okay process for people? Instead of what we see today, which is a total and complete lack of hope for people. Because we're in the club. So someone that you knew was deep, deep in sin, deep in addiction, 
deep in whatever it is that would disqualify them in your, in your head and in your heart from the gospel? What if they walked in and sat next to you today and lifted their hands and said, what if they walked in and they listened and took notes? What if they came in and gave and served? What would that accomplish in your heart? Where would you be in that? What if it was someone who hurt you deeply so much so that words can fall out of your mouth like I wish they were out now? What if they wanted to follow Jesus and that meant you had to forgive them fully? That you had to accept them into the family? What would that response be? See, we're quick to kick people out of the church. We're quick to say no. We're quick to say you don't satisfy these lines here. You don't fit in. And that grieves my heart. So what would your response be? There's two opportunities. One is to be exactly who we all hope we would be. And the other is what we read in verse 5. And Jonah's response. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. And, when he made a, and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. See, the response of so many is, as Jonah displays, to go sit by, watch people pass, and hope that God will change his mind and destroy. Now, I think in like our core, like, well, I don't want anyone to go to hell, right? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want people to not know Jesus. But if that desire doesn't bring a call and a purpose, then like that's just you being a little bit altruistic. Right? Like I don't want I don't want people to get in car wrecks. Which is why I don't go on the road and swerve into people and laugh when they hit a tree. Pretty straightforward. Because everything causes something. So if that was our honest heart, what would it look like for us not to sit back and watch a city and hope a city burns and instead go after the people God has called you to? What would change? See, for Jonah, they weren't worth redemption. They were way too evil. Their lifestyle, their desires, the things they did with their time, way too evil. He disqualified the gospel for them. And so Jonah's reality was to sit and wait on the Lord for destruction instead of salvation. And guys, I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm tired of waiting for destruction. I'm tired of waiting for people to mess up and not walk into church. I'm tired of people not sitting in these seats because they're scared that they might hear that they're not good enough. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sit out in the city. I'm not going to go enjoy meals at Hare and Field, right? The Furman Dining Hall, which I'm going to show up one day and just mess. Like, I'm okay with being that old guy just one time. It's going to be weird, whatever. I'm down. I told Raleigh I'll go. I'm in. I'm not going to sit in the grocery aisles and walk by and put my headphones in and just throw things in my cart and get out of there as fast as I can. I'm done. I'm done doing that. So my response is what I hope yours will be is to die then. 
Be willing to fight for it. Be willing to fight for them, whoever them is. I don't care what their lifestyle choices are. I don't care what their struggles are. I don't care what they're walking in with because they're going to walk out with the gospel and they're going to hear Jesus. They're not going to hear they're not good enough. They're not going to hear how their rules are broken, therefore they're not worthy of redemption. It's get people here so they can hear the gospel. And we're not going to sit idly by as a church and let people wait on God's just judgment. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. Listen, my closest family is going to be in heaven one day with me. It's going to be awesome. But somebody else's closest family isn't. I'm going to fight like hell for it. I hope you will too. Because it's worth them not being here. So what will you do? Will you offer grace? Will you offer the opportunity for someone you don't get along with every day to sit in the pew across from you? That's why we have chairs. Pew scared people. Also, that'd be really hard to store and move. Will you offer grace? even when they don't deserve it? Will you accept it when you don't deserve it? And are you willing to offer the space for people to have the chance to know? Church, we cannot condemn people for every step they take toward an empty tomb. We have to celebrate with them as they take those steps. And if you're taking those steps, we want to walk with you toward them as well. We can only do that if you're honest and open and vulnerable in it. And so I know it's the call of a church planner. But church, I want you to dive in. I want you to walk fully. I want you to sacrifice. I want you to take steps you haven't taken for the sake of everyone else out there who's not sitting at the table yet. And that's going to cost you might cost how people think of you. might cost what people say about you. But it's not going to cost you having a story like Jonah because we're not going to sit and wait for God to burn the city down. We're going to go in. We're going to change the city. The gospel of Jesus because that is how God operates. He is steadfast in his love. He is slow to anger. He is loving and trusting. He is relenting in his judgment. So let's be about that. Let's pray. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's message and that you feel so encouraged by who God is and who he thinks and knows you are as well. If you have any questions about our church or our ministry, you can check us out at trailside.church. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have an incredible, incredible day.